Amen. Amen. Hey, welcome to South. Um, we're glad you're here today. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And um, I am not speaking on Father's Day per se today, but um, I am talking about fighting and about a war. So I figured that for the men out there, that would suffice. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Samuel chapter. It's uh, one of the more famous passages in the Old Testament, definitely one of the most famous passages about the life of David. Uh, this is the David and Goliath story. So m- today might be a flashback to the flannel graph for you. Um, I don't know if you remember in Sunday school them putting flannel up on the board and it was awesome. Um, but that's the story we're looking at today and hopefully from a little bit of a fresh angle. Uh, my son this year uh, started playing baseball. To the glory of God. And uh, he's had three games so far. And, and his jersey is about three sizes too big and his pants are a size too small. And man, does he look awesome out there. Yesterday, Saturday, um, we had there was a kid who lied down in the outfield, which is still on the infield because they're so small, and um, made a dirt angel <laughs> in the outfield. Now, there's two things I'm thinking when he's making that. One is I'm a little impressed and, and so is the kid. He did it and he stood back and he crossed his arms and it was almost like, you know, it's not, not bad, right? Um, this, that's what, and I'm also thinking, praise Jesus, that wasn't my kid, you know? Like, and there's this weird thing that started to happen to me, even though my son's four and a half. Like when he's up to bat, I have an investment in whether or not, an, an unhealthy investment in whether or not he gets a base hit or not. And listen, everybody gets a base hit. We don't, they don't keep, they don't keep score, okay? But dads, just by a show of hands, any dad's done t-ball and they don't keep score, but you do, okay? So I figured out a way to keep score at a t-ball game. You can't count the actual runs because there's way too many. You can count the outs, and whoever, whichever team gets more outs in the game, actually in the field, wins the game. So I know their record; they're they're um, two and one. And um, anyway, so just. But I have this like it was weird in me because I always swore, all right, I'm not going to be that crazy dad who, when his kid is up to bat, has the un- unhealthy emotional investment in whether or not son gets a hit. I'm not going to live vicariously my dreams through my kids. Well, he's four and a half and that's out the window. So I'm looking into counseling starting like tomorrow to try to work through these issues so that when he is in high school, I don't look like an idiot and he's not embarrassed of me. But here's the thing. I think we do this often, though, with different things in our life that we sort of live vicariously through, whether it be our kids or I mean, our sports teams. You listen to the vernacular that starts in the fall where um, we have a game today. And we are playing the uh, Oakland Raiders, right? And we are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. And all of a sudden, we are on the Broncos when we haven't run a 40-yard dash ever, right? I mean, people that have never thrown a football before are now on the Broncos. We, we identify well with our sports teams, with our kids. With, we live vicariously. In some ways, we live vicari- well vicariously through other people. In other ways, I don't think we do it as well. And I want to propose to you today that I think one of the secrets of the Christian life is is living vicariously through someone else. And as we jump into the story about 
David and Goliath. I'll invite you to turn there. First Samuel 17, if you're not there already. The, the, the whole time I heard the story growing up, it worked out a little bit like this on the flannel graph. Um, it was, you know, David is small and Goliath's big. And there's no way you can face Goliath or beat Goliath, but, but David could. And if you, here's sort of the bottom line of, of the message. If you have faith like David and get out on that battlefield and pull up those bootstraps and go for it, you can do it. And so all of a sudden, every time I read the story of David, I, I read it. And, and whenever you read Old Testament narrative, at least I do, I always read myself into the story. Like, God, what are you trying to teach me? Where do I, where, where, do, where do you see me in the story, God? And every time I read the story, I was David. I was, I was the, I was the hero. I was the one that went out into the battlefield and the giants that I was facing in life because I have faith in God I can face and be victorious. And, and I think it shows something, at least in me. It showed that I'm, I'm way more interested in being the hero than I am in worshiping the hero. It showed that I'm a whole lot more interested in, in being the hero than I am in worshiping the hero. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors and a great pastor, says this. There is, in the end, only two ways to read the Bible. It is basically about me... Or it's basically about Jesus. In other words, it's basically about what I must do or basically about what he has done. And you see, here's a subtle thing that happens when we read the story of David and Goliath and we are David. See, the story of David and Goliath turns into a pep talk. David serves as a great example of a, of a man who had faith. And he, he was a great example. He is a great example of a man who had faith. But the bottom line starts to be, you can do it. If you try hard enough and if you have enough faith, you can do it. And I want to propose to you this morning that maybe you're not David. In fact, I want to propose to you this morning, you're not David. But I think you're in the story. I think I'm in the story. I think we're in the story as the Israelites on the sideline, oftentimes quaking in our boots. I think that's where I find myself. I'd love to read the story and think I'm David, but that only works where there's nothing going on in my life that's imposing. That's when that works. And see, here's the truth of the matter, friends, is that you and I didn't need a pep talk. We didn't need an example. We didn't need somebody to come and draw up a battle plan. We needed a savior to come and fight on our behalf. Not to just tell us what to do and say, pull up your bootstraps and, and go ahead and do it. You didn't need an example to follow. You needed a savior to step in. That's what, that's what you and I needed. And see, at the heart of the I am David interpretation of the passage is this promise of courage. But I want to propose to you, that promise of courage is present in the passage only if you don't read yourself in as David, but see yourself on the sidelines as the Israelites. So I see you're skeptical. Why don't you open your Bible and we'll walk through the passage. 
Some of you are going, you just ruined my favorite Bible story of all time. And my I am David tattoo on my arm is going to have to be erased. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Chapter 17, verse 1 starts like this. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah. And they pitched camp at Ephes and Damin between Soka and Azekah. And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Now, just a quick time out. We're going to read through this. I'm going to talk. We're going to read. I'm going to talk. We're going to read. That's sort of how this is going to go for a few minutes. The Philistines were one of the most notorious armies on the face of the planet at this point in time. They are, they're strong. They're the first people group, the first civilization that started to use iron and bronze and they forged it into uh, weaponry. So they are a powerful nation, imposing, and they are camped out in the Israelite land, the land that God had promised to the Israelites that would be theirs. And the Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another with the valley between them. This is about a, a mile wide valley. But here's the picture. The picture is Israel on one hand and the Philistines on the other with a valley in between. And we could do a whole sermon series on this, but um, I'll just suffice to say, you don't stand in between in the middle with God. You either stand with him and for him or you stand against him. There's no in between. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out to the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. He, his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's about 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. Now the narrator does a, a, something interesting for us. The author of 1 Samuel does something interesting in giving us so much detail about Goliath. You see, we're used to that. We read a novel and, and it's illustrious and it paints for us a picture. But for a, 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 somebody who when this was written, that, that would be a, a flag that they would wave and say, this is different. Because that kind of detail about this type of thing just wasn't given. And he gives us that kind of detail to paint a picture for us of a certain kind of courage and a certain kind of power. You see, Goliath had power because of his physical prominence. Goliath had power because of his technological advance in the spear that he had and the javelin that he had. And, and Goliath had power because he was confident. I mean, who's going to beat him? Nine feet tall. I mean, some scholars will say that's with his helmet on. Either way, he's a tall dude. I mean, that's the point, right? It says, Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why don't you come up and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Interesting. It's what they called representative warfare. Uh, the Philistines often fought this way, primarily because they had people like Goliath. Right? I mean, makes sense. Makes sense. Because who's going to beat him? 
Um, the Israelites, they were a little bit newer to this. And, and so the, Goliath sort of explains the terms of what's going on. It says, verse 10, the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And so literally, they approach the battle line. Goliath throws down the gauntlet. Here's how we're doing this. You send somebody, we're going to send somebody, and let's duke it out. And Israel runs back to camp and says, we don't think so. He's pretty big. Okay, now, this happens for 40 days. 40 days. I mean, can you imagine the campfire at night? Just sitting around going, so what's the plan for tomorrow? Well, I was thinking we'd uh, get intimidated and run home with our tail between our legs again. You know, it's like, I mean, what do you start? How do you start to, how do you give a pep talk in that situation? Let's fast forward a little bit. David's about 15 miles away taking care of his sheep. And because the battle took so long, the families would provide the rations and they provide the food and they would run it up through somebody in their family and, and deliver it. And that's David's job to go and give his brothers food. See, David's too young for battle. He's probably in his teens. He needed to be 20 years old in order to fight in the army at this point in time. It says early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd. Just a quick time out. I mean, I love the way that the author of 1 Samuel weaves into this David being a good shepherd. He's not just going to leave his sheep and go. He's going to care for them even when he's not there. It may sound familiar. And he loaded up and he set out as Jesse, his dad, had directed. And he reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting a war cry. I mean... We're 40 days in and they have run home every single day. At this point, what kind of war cry do you have? I mean, is this the, we've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you type of thing? And they yell back. We've got Goliath. Will you send us somebody to fight already? I don't know how it goes, but a war cry when you're 0 for 40 doesn't sound that great. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies, and he ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man... And they ran from him in great fear. So David's observing this. He's delivering rations to the war, quote unquote. And he sees Goliath come out and he hears what he says. And then he sees Israel and everybody run back to the camp. And he's got to be thinking to himself, seriously, this is the war and I'm too young to fight in it. Like I can run away as well as anybody else, you know, count me. In And David, as, as many young, naive people do, start to ask really obvious questions. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man? He comes out. He comes out to defy Israel. 
the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and he will exempt his family from paying taxes in Israel. Now, those are two great things. The only catch is you have to be alive in order to collect on them. So nobody stepped up. And they repeated to him what they'd been saying and told, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And to whom did you leave with those few sheep in the desert? I know how, con- how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Isn't it interesting how some of the greatest condemnation and some of the greatest questions are lobbed from people who you would think would be for him. People within the army, people within the nation. And those are the people that start to say to David, seriously? Now, what have I done? Said David. Can I even speak? He's like, all I did was point out, hey, is this really what's going on here? Like we every day we go up there and get intimidated and run home. That's all I did. I just asked if that's what we were doing. And he turned away to ask someone else. He brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. No, it's true. That's what we're doing today. That's what we'll do tomorrow. We're going to run to the front line of battle. We're going to get intimidated and then we're going to run home. And David's like, wow, that's awesome. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart, literally be discouraged on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy and he's been a fighting man since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now, if that's all he said, Saul would not be that encouraged by this news. Awesome, a shepherd. Great. Why didn't we think of that? When a lion or bear came and carried off sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. And I rescued the sheep from its mouth. Notice the picture of what what David's doing. is He's not only giving him really valuable information about why he might be a good person to go into the war, but he's also painting a picture. He's painting a picture that he's somebody who's willing to go and to rescue what's been wrongfully taken. That he's not intimidated no matter how big the enemy is, no matter how prominent, no matter how how large the giant seems. But when something's unrightfully taken, David's saying, I'm the type of guy who's willing to go and take it back. Verse 37, the Lord... Delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. You see, what God works and crafts in David privately, he now is going to use publicly. But you see, if that never happens with the bear, if that never happens with the other animal, if David never has to be shaped by God and molded by God, which is often a very painful process, in private, he never has the ability to step out in public. And Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. It's like, awesome, I'm off the hook. And Saul is going to try then to dress David in his armor, which Saul's the the tallest person in Israel. His armor still has the tags on it from wherever he bought it, you know. And so he's pulling the tags off because they're brand new. He's never fought a battle in his life. So he's pulling them off, you know. All right, this is new. Go in there and go get him, David. 
Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. And he looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. Isn't that an awesome note? David's a boy, but he's, he's a good looking boy. And Goliath feels bad that he's going to have to kill him here pretty soon. And he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This is ancient trash talk is what that is. You think you got what it takes to come against me? Think again. And David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. He's like, I'll see you feeding my carcasses to the birds and I will raise you cutting off your head with your own sword. How do you like that, Goliath? And he's going to raise it again. Today I will give the carcasses of the whole Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. See, for David, that's what this is about. This is about whether or not the whole world knows that there's a God in Israel and whether or not that God is going to be faithful to the promises that that God has made to his people. That's what this is about for David. Verse 47, and all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And catch this part, catch this part. And he will give all of you into our hands. Really interesting. Because when I read this, it's only David going out for battle, isn't it? And David's saying, It's not just me that's going to be victorious. It's everybody behind me that's going to be victorious. He's not just giving Goliath into my hands. He's giving the whole Philistine army into our hands. Now, if this were a movie, it cuts to slow motion. And the theme music comes on. You know, this is like Rudy on the outside end, you know, playing defensive end for Notre Dame, and he's the smallest, and he's right, okay? And the Philistine moved closer to attack him. And David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell down onto the ground. That's a lot of buildup for two short verses that say, and David killed Goliath. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and he killed him. And David ran and he stood over him and he took the Philistine sword and he drew it from the scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with his sword. I mean, you imagine, my guess is that on that battlefield, it's just dead silence. You're going, wait, what? If you're an Israelite, you're going, did that just happen? If you're a Philistine, you're going, did that just happen? Are we now their subjects? Are we now their slaves? Do we? Oh, no. Didn't see that coming. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. 
And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. These are guys that for 40 days went up to the battle lines and they walked back with their tail between their legs every single day, terrified, dismayed, without a hope in the world. And all of a sudden, one giant falls to the ground and they get this courage that is better than anything that they could have ever imagined. I mean, the Philistine army still has the bronze. They still have the iron. They still have the swords. They still have the ability to completely annihilate the Israelite people. And they see the giant drop and they charge into battle for the first time in 40 days. And they charged in, and their dead were strewn along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Wow. Interesting. What's the story about? It's a story about courage, isn't it? I mean, it's a story about stepping into the unknown. It's a story about doing things that are bigger than you're able to do. But I think if we get it wrong, I think if we read ourselves into the story as David, it starts to derail the real true point of the story. Because I think if we read ourselves in as David, here's where we start to end up. We start to end up with trite cliche sayings like, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Oh yeah, amen. And things like, there's always hope for the underdog, so believe in yourself. What are the Goliaths in your life that you're facing? Well, here's the thing. Last time I read the story, Goliath's dead. Isn't that the point of the story? Is that Goliath dies? And I feel like when we read ourselves in as David, we miss out on what God would actually intend for us to do with a story. Because his intention is not just man up. His intention is not just try harder. His intention is not just have a little more faith and get out on the battlefield. That's not his intention. His intention is to declare to you and to me that Goliath is dead. That Goliath is gone. And yeah, the Israelites, they go on to fight more wars and more battles, but they do so. And you realize they have courage to do so because Goliath lies dead on the battlefield and his head is in Jerusalem. That's what pushes them forward. See, this isn't a story about you. This is a story about God. This isn't a story about what you can do if you have enough faith. This is a story about what God has already done on your behalf. See, I don't think you're David. And I hate to break it to you. And some of you are going to want to come and hit me in the back of the knee. And that's all right. I don't think you're David, though. I think you're an Israelite. And I don't think you needed a battle plan. Just like they did. I think he needed a savior. I think you and I needed to come, have somebody come and to fight on our behalf. And friends, isn't that the gospel? 
is that you are dead in your transgression and sin in which you once lived and that he, Jesus, made you alive with Christ. Now, dead people don't do a great job of fighting. I mean, it's as though they stand on the sideline and cower in fear at best day after day after day. See, you didn't need an example to follow. You needed somebody to come and to fight on your behalf. And so I would propose to you that you and I find courage when we live vicariously through the victorious one. I think that's what this story is about. It is not, will you try harder? Will you do more? Will you just have a little more faith? And then you'll be able to slay your Goliaths. It's, hey, the biggest Goliath has already been slayed. So in light of that, how do we now live? And courage isn't found in just propping yourself up and getting more armor. Courage is found in trusting in the one who's already won the victory. And and there's, and I'm going to fly through these because we're almost out of time, but there's three ways that I see this happening in this passage. Three ways that we live vicariously through the victorious one. One is that we rest in the truth that he fought for us and as us. See, Christianity at its core is not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. That he already won the victory. And so you and I, we don't fight for victory. And we talked about this in our, in our series on Ephesians and Ephesians 6. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Those are two very different things, friends. Those are two very different things. And David does not walk up to the battlefield and go, all right, guys, get, come around. Here's the plan. I'm going to draw it in the dirt. You're going to come from this side. You're going to come from this side. And then we're all going to converge and attack. No. Now David comes. He shows up at the battle and he says, "You're, you're scared. You're dismayed. I got this. And I will go and I will fight on your behalf. And he did. And he did. The biggest enemy you will ever face lies dead at the foot of the cross of Jesus. The biggest enemy, the enemy that separated you from God, lies dead at the foot of the cross. He's been disarmed, the book of Colossians says. It was in there somewhere. Disarmed. And he lies dead at the foot of the cross. And you see, when you and I know that, it allows us to enter into the quote-unquote battles of life differently, knowing that the war has already been won. You didn't need an example. You needed a savior. You didn't need somebody to emulate. You needed somebody to impute victory to you. That's what we needed. Look at the way that Paul says this in the book of Romans. He says, you see that at just the right time, like maybe after 40 days of being intimidated, right time. At just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Did you know? And David, this comical scene of David trying on Saul's army, and it's like four sizes too big, and he's like, you seriously want me to go fight in this? Just just take this off, and and I'm going in with my five stones and my slingshot, and that's it. And did you know what? David doesn't win victory in spite of his weakness. David's victorious 
because of his weakness. If David goes in in his armor, he ends up like everybody else who would have gone and fight Goliath, gone. But David, I mean, it's as though he empties himself, isn't it? I mean, it's as though as he gives up every piece of his power and, and walks onto the battlefield in need and desperate. And it's as though he has nothing to offer. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it's the same way Jesus purchases your victory. Is it's not through his strength. It's through his sacrifice. It's not because he was all-powerful, although he was. It says, the scriptures say that he emptied himself of all that it meant to be God, and he humbled himself to be a man. And see, just in the same way that David walks onto the battlefield weak, and he wins victory because of it, Jesus humbles himself and becomes a man and walks on earth, and he wins and purchases your victory, not in spite of his weakness, but because of it. He not only gives, he gives his life for you, friends. He gives his life for you. The scriptures say that he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I love the way the modern hymn, How Deep the Father's Love, puts it when um, Stuart Townsend writes, why should I gain from his reward? I mean, it's, he, he did it. I didn't do it. I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds wounds have paid my ransom. And you see, we live vicariously when we remember that he's the one who stepped onto the battlefield, that he waged the war and won the war for me and as me. And my life is a response to that. Second, second, we live vicariously the victory of the one by being strengthened by his victory, not our ability. We're strengthened by his victory, not our ability. Don't you just love the scene of the Israelites going, he's down? Like Goliath is dead? And then they gather their weapons, what few weapons they have, and they go and they take names and they wipe them out. Why? Because Goliath's dead. And I think God's invitation to you and to me would be the same thing. Hey, the Goliath is dead. And the rest of the battles that you have to wage, and there are some, friends, I know that there are some things going on in your life that feel like Goliaths right now. I get that. There's things in my life that feel like Goliaths right now. But I know that God is saying to us, will you focus on what I've already done and allow that to push you into the battle, not what you can do and not what you bring to the table? Because what I bring to the table, I know what I bring to the table is, is, is weakness and inability. But when, I, when my focus is on God, I think just like the Israelite army goes in there, I think you and I do too, but only when we fight from victory, not fighting for victory. Because when you fight from victory, your focus is on the one who already has been victorious. That's your focus. And I think so much of Unfortunately, there's just too much church where we cower in fear. Where it's like, wow, that's a really big, it's a really big problem I got going on there. And God's like, I killed Goliath. I heard this little parable about this church of, of ducks. And there's this duck preacher 
And every, every day, every Sunday, these ducks would waddle into church. And this duck preacher could quack it up, man. I mean, he was like one of the best duck preachers of all time. And, and he would tell these ducks about how they could fly. And they'd be in church and they would be soaring around the congregation. I mean, glory to God, quack, quack, amen, quack be to God, right? I mean, like they were worshiping up a storm, flying around and they got done with the message. And a few of the ducks waddled up to the pastor and said, hey, great message, pastor. And they got outside of the church and waddled home. And I wonder, man, God, how much of my life looks like? I'm just waddling when you're saying, listen, Goliath's dead. Why don't you fly? Why don't you fly? And see, when I focus on my ability, and, and I am David, and I can do it, when I focus on that, I fail miserably. When I focus on what God has done, and has promised to do, and will do, we step into the victory he calls us to. Third, third, we recognize, we know that the slain giant confirms God's faithfulness to all of his promises. That's what David's banking on as he walks into battle, isn't it? And so the story isn't try to be David. The story is know that God will be and is faithful on all of his promises. I mean, look at the way that the psalmist writes it in Psalm 91 verse 4. It says, he will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness, friends, will be your shield and your rampart. This story shows us, not that you can do it, but that God has done it and that everything he's promised to do, he will do. He will do. I love the way that Paul writes it to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made. Hey, that's all of them. That's all of them. Every single promise he's made, every single promise he's quote unquote on the hook for, Paul says, They are yes in Jesus. That in Jesus Christ, he has made good on every single promise that he has made. And you see, this isn't, this story isn't about you walking onto the battlefield. This isn't really even about David walking onto the battlefield. It's about Jesus walking onto the battlefield and conquering and taking down the biggest enemy you will ever face. And at the foot of the cross, You can find victory, not just for the battle, but for all of the subsequent little battles that will come in life. And when there seems like there's a giant in between you and the promise of God, you remember this passage that God has said yes to every single promise through the blood and the person and the work of Jesus, that he reveals the promises of God to us, that he fulfills the promises of God for us, and that he invites us to walk in the promises of God daily. You see, at first it may be bad news that you're an Israelite on the sideline. But when you see the end of the story, 
And when you see that the Israelites find great courage in not their sacrifice and not their ability, but in their hero's ability, that's what the story is about, in their hero's ability, they find great courage to walk into whatever God has for them. Because here's the truth of the matter, friends, is that courage is not the absence of fear. It's the presence of a joy that overcomes the presence of fear. That's what it's about. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. See, this isn't a story about you. This is a story about your God. This isn't a story about what you can do. This is a story about what Jesus has already done. And this isn't a story about how great you could be. Praise be to God. But this is a story about how great your God is. And so, and so, and so, if he has already slaughtered Goliath, then you tell me what battle is too big that's going on in your life. What battle? He says, when you live vicariously through the victorious one, you step into a life of courage and a life of faith and a life of blessing and a life of goodness that God designed you, designed you and purchased for you to live. And I pray that you and we and I will. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer?